people deluded i'm back again thank you very much for tuning in to another edition of the deluded podcast it means a lot um it's a pleasure to talk about football with you guys man so i hope you're all doing well and safe whoever you are wherever you are on this tuesday morning now for some people in the premier league it was our second game week we've got 36 games to go for Manchester United and Man City and, and stuff like that, it was their first game. So it was the first bit of action. And I mean, City, you know, puts together some great passing moves. And if you hear Pep Guardiola's comments after the game, he wants the league title. Simple, Simply put, Manchester United, you know, they lost to Crystal Palace. Um, Zaha obviously coming back to haunt Manchester United. And many people will point to Manchester United's transfer, transfer policy apologies, and rightly so. But I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has to hold a lot of heat. Again, for instance, before I forget, I just want to mention it. Like, I don't know for Wan-Bissaka's fitness um, and I don't know what the thinking was with Greenwood, but I don't understand starting Daniel James, um, Fosu Mensah at right back, not that he played poorly, and Scott McTominay. So like you need to set levels. Again, if there's fitness reasons, I understand it, but it didn't hold much weight for me. And the manager, for as poor as the players were at times, you know, Lindelof, you know, United weren't helped as well because of the you know the penalty was retaken and stuff. It is what it is. Obviously Liverpool first big clash of the season. They won two nil. We'll get on to Thiago in a bit, but you know, considering he's only trained once with their boys apparently, and he got forty five minutes and made seventy five passes. Imagine what he's going to do if he starts what I expect against Arsenal next week or on Monday. You know. Um, so let's get straight into it, man, really and truly in relation to the Premier League. It was a weird one, man. There was lots of penalties. VAR definitely had a part to play. And there was a lot of goals, people. A lot of goals. A lot of goals, you know. Son for Spurs, four goals moving mad. Uh, Calvert-Lewin, you know, three goals this week. You know, hat-trick hero. Danny Ings got a young brace as well. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah, man, people were getting on the score sheet. Um, apparently, there were 39 goals scored across... The eight games this weekend in the Premier League, excluding the two at um, midweek or Monday. Um, this is at this means there's an average of four point nine per game. This was the highest goals per game rate on a Saturday plus Sunday of Premier League football, um, which is crazy. It's a new record. Obviously, Everton and Liverpool both kicked off a season with maximum points from their opening games for only the second time, and it's the first time since ninety three ninety four. So it's actually the first time in my lifetime that I've seen this. Um, so it's a weird one. Let's start with Arsenal, people. Now, where do I start, really? End of the day, we won 2-1. We won, we got over the line. You got three points, you know. On some hands, you know, some teams will be praised for that performance and say, you've got to win ugly, it was a sluggish performance, etc., etc., people. And a lot of that is true, and you could say a lot of that holds weight. But I think we got out of jail. I'm not going to lie. Apologies, people, I thought I was going to sneeze. But I thought we got out of jail for sure. We definitely got out of jail because, you know, we didn't test Fabianski a lot. Yeah, we scored two goals, but we didn't test him. We didn't work the keeper coming back to the Emirates. <sighs> Apologies, people, man. One sec. <laughs> Apologies, people. I appreciate you lot. Don't want to hear that in your ears, man. I really apologise. But back to Arsenal, people. And I think there was themes, man. A lot of what I saw in that game kind of shows me the problems we had all season and you can apply the context of what I'm about to say in several incidences. For me, it's about the start. I think it was a slow 15, you know. You're meant to set pace. You're at home. you got to make it nervy. West Ham lost the week before. There's question marks over the players, question marks over the management, question marks over why new players ain't arrived. You quickly get in behind, that defence will quickly start squabbling. So we've got to start games better. I think game management, like I said, the first 15... But for me, you know, we're going to be in contexts where we're not necessarily playing well. So I'm looking at them players and thinking, hold on. You know and I know and my teammates know we ain't been at our best. It's 1-0. Let's get into half. Let's chill off, get into half time and see what happens. And I think, you know, to concede a goal in the way we did, not only a minute before half time, but the counter attack and people not following runners was quite poor. I don't think we created enough, both in, in, in passes and then things there and shots. And to be fair, you know, and a lot of what I saw, you know, Liverpool will exploit that. We got away with it. But on other days, that's 2-2 Arsenal-West Ham. That's 3-2 Arsenal-West Ham, you know. The only things I can really praise was the fact that Lacazette got his 50th goal. You know, Bamian got an assist. Saka looked lively. Um, Xhaka had a better second half. Um, 
apart from that, you know, I don't think Kalajinac's covered himself with any glory. I think Holden did well up until when he let Antonio score. I think Gabriel was okay. They tried to find penalty incidences with him. But we got over the line, people. It is what it is, man. It's 2-1. It's six points chalked up on the board. Um, especially going into Liverpool on Monday. You don't know how that's going to go. We've beat them in the last two times we faced them. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure all of you know, you can't really be, not that you can't be positive against Liverpool, but it can go either way. You know, Liverpool could do what they have been doing, you know, with the Mane's and the Salas and the Firmino's just drumming Arsenal, you know. But it is what it is. We needed a substitute to get us out of jail. And, you know, since the start of last season... Um, only Manchester City with nine have scored more Premier League goals via substitutes than Arsenal, which have eight. So that tells you we might not be starting games the best. Um, you know, Lacazette, you know, it's taking him a while to get to 50 goals and that probably shows you his struggles. But at the same time, it's a fantastic achievement. He's etched his name in Arsenal history. It's nice that he scored in two game weeks in a row now. But in relation to reaching the tally of 50 goals, um, he's become the full Frenchman to do so after... Olivier Giroud now at Chelsea, Robert Perez, Bobby Perez, and, you know, I had to save the best till last, Thierry Henry. Simple as. So, yeah, man, you're near some great players that have played for this club. Specifically two of them, not the one that went to Chelsea. Moving away from that, and I'm sure you all saw Leicester won 4-2 against Burnley. You know, Brendan Rodgers recorded his, apologies, 100th Premier League victory that means he's the 23rd manager to reach 100 wins in the competition. And he's also the fourth quickest British manager to reach this milestone after 210 games. Ferguson took 162, Dalglish took 197 and Kevin Keegan took 209. With this, Leicester have won their first two Premier League games of the Premier League campaign. They're, this was the first time since they won the league, people. So... I'm sure, you know, the people that like trends and whatnot, you know, Leicester might win the league again. It was a banger from Pritt in this game, you know. Burnley were a shambles defensively, but shout out to James Justin for getting his first goal for, for Leicester. You know, Pritt, Pratt, Dennis Pritt, you know, Arsenal were linked with him at 16. He scored a banger. I think Telemans, I don't want to say got back to his best, but he, he looked good on the ball. They did what they needed to do, man. Harvey Barnes was a thorn in their side and he's been directly involved in nine goals. Um, nine Premier League goals for Leicester in 2020 with six goals and three assists. Only Jamie Vardy with 10 has had more of a hand in, in such. So it is what it is. And Leicester, you know, they bottled like They had a strong season and they didn't finish it in the Champions League place, which is disappointing. I'm sure they want to go one better this time around. Everton, another week, another win for Everton. This week was a crazy Premier League week. And I think, you know, the Everton game kind of sums it up. It had it all. Bielik, the manager being sent off, former Arsenal player Kieran Gibbs being sent off, dodgy defending from set pieces, which allowed Calvert-Lewin to definitely get one of his goals, and Michael Keane, James Rodriguez was involved in everything and obviously got off the mark, you know, Pereira scored a lovely free kick, Grady, the former West Ham lad, a lovely run, you know, there was, this game had everything, man, it really had everything, and it was fantastic to watch from the neutrals, and Again, you know, there's 36 games left in the Premier League, so we can't draw too many conclusions. But people are looking at Everton because they do sign a, a couple decent players every year to a degree. But people are looking at Everton to say, all right, cool, can you really push for Europe now? Can you do what Leicester and Wolves are doing? Can you finally give the Everton fans what they deserve? And I'm sure, you know, when Carlo goes back to the drawing board, the two goals they conceded, they could have improved it or not conceded that. But I think they did well, man. They fought. They, you know, they came from a goal down technically, you know, at, at a time it was 1-1 or 2-2 when Pereira put in the free kick, but they kept going, man. Calvert-Lewin, you know, he's doing his best to, for people like me that questioned his, his ability a couple of years ago. You know, he's making us eat humble pie. Obviously, with the Euros coming on the, um, on the corner, it's very decent because, you know, many people would have thought Ings and Calvert-Lewin, if they can't continue this form, will they get into the Euro squad? It's probably bleak. And again, all that matters is what they're doing in May. But he started off the campaign great. He scored a hat-trick. In fact, didn't he score last week? So he's probably got four goals in two, if not more. Um, you've got Danny Ings looking a bit sharp. You know, you've obviously got Vardy who's going to bag and has bagged. You've got Kane looking good again, getting assists and that. You know, Mason Greenwood when fit. You know, he ain't done nothing in the Prem this year. But you know the point. There's good competition for places. <clears throat> like I said, the goal had everything, man. The goal had everything. It was a fantastic game for the neutrals and Everton walked away with the three points. With that, though, people, Carlo Ancelotti has never lost a Premier League game to a newly promoted club in 15 previous such games, winning 11 and drawing 
before. This is the most of any manager that has faced promoted sides without ever suffering defeat in one competition. Calvert-Lewin's hat-trick, you know, at 23 years and 187 days, you know, 187 ride or die. Um, he's the youngest Englishman to score a top-flight hat-trick for Everton since Tony Cotty at 23 years of age and 47 days when he did that in 1998, August of that year, against Newcastle people. I apologise, people. Hay, hay fever is working a number on me, man. I thought it's meant to be winter. I'm almost in damn October, making my nose all snuffy. Moving forward, though, with that, Calvert-Lewin has scored more goals, well, specifically Premier League goals, under Carlo Ancelotti than he has managed under any other previous manager in his career. So maybe Carlo is his lucky omen now. With that, people, you big up Richarlison. You know, they've signed Hammers and, you know, they've fixed up their midfield, but you're looking at Richarlison to show he's still quality and he's done such you know he's assisted two goals in a premier league game for the first time in his career you know michael Keane is a center half and you know there's question marks over his defending and he'll have to prove that wrong this season but he has scored in consecutive home games for everton in all competitions after managing just one in his previous 53 apps at goodison park 34 percent of james rodriguez's 53 goals in europe's top five european leagues have been scored from outside the box Better yet, 18 of his 53. Three of his last six have come in that fashion and you saw him do that against Everton. Now, maybe you could say it's better keeping required by the West Bromwich Albion lad, but I think James is going to score goals in this competition or, or put in a respectable account of himself. We'll have to see. Another crazy game. Spurs came from behind against Southampton to win 5-2. The game had everything, you know. Danny Ings, I think Danny Ings got a brace, forgive me if I'm wrong, but his first goal was something to behold. Son, the move for Son's first goal, in my opinion, yeah, you know, Ndombele did very well. I think he passed it to Kane or something like that. Either way, they gave Son quite a lot to do, but Son made it, he pulled it in from that tight angle and he made it look like a good move, which it was, you know, he completed it. Son was a man possessed, you know. Son Heung-min, I don't want to say he's underrated because everyone can see he's got ability, but he is, man. I know there's a lot of talk about Harry Kane and Bell and their partnership and rightly so, you know. Bell's made a name in European football, regardless of what people have to say, for for killing defenders. Kane is a gunman in front of goal. I get it. But you got to remember, Sun is there, you know. Sun is going to... you got to respect Sun's thing. Sun is going to have an important part to play. I'd, I'd even go as far as to say as important because, you know, I'm not going to tell Spurs fans nothing. But Spurs, for me, Sun is always a danger man. Nine times out of ten, he's always someone that... He wants to lead by example. He never stops running. Fantastic technical ability. And he's hungry, man. He's hungry. He's got that mindset. You know, many players would have been, you know, oh, I've got one goal. I'm happy. I've got a brace. I'm happy. I've got a hat-trick. I'm happy. This man wanted four, you know. Arguably, there could have been more goals. You know, Kane was a bit unfortunate to be disallowed two goals in that game, I believe. It was. It had everything, man. Sun's four goals was an exhibition, you know. He scored some very good goals. It was shambolic defending, to put it nicely, from Southampton. You know, they've got to fix up. It was ridiculous. You know, it looked like Sunday league at a point and they were failing. But Sun was on crud. You know, Kane got on the score sheet. You know, I'm sure Jose won't care. You know, like I said, they had to come from behind. They conceded two cheap goals um, for, by themselves. That could be something Spurs need to impress at. But they fought back. Now, you could say at times it was an un at to a degree... Especially in the first half, it was a bit uninspiring, a bit unconvincing, a bit sluggish. But at the end of the day, they've won 5-2. There's been a flurry of goals in the second half in particular. With that, Son and Kane have combined for more Premier League goals than any other duo since the Koreans moved to England in 2015. They're involved in 24 goals. Kane became the first Premier League player to assist four goals for the same teammate in one match, you know. Let's not forget, I know he, he didn't assist them, but let's not forget Arshavin. I know Spurs fans are going to compare Suns to Arshavins. Arshavin did it against Liverpool, mate. You're doing it against a team that conceded nine goals. Big wow. Obviously, I have to run agendas, people. But big up Sun, man. He's a baller. Um, Harry Kane is the first player to be directly involved in five goals in a Premier League game since Mo Salah versus Watford in 2018. Um, you know, obviously Kane got four, four assists, one goal. Um, this is the second time Kane has done so. He also did such in, in 2017 against a former loan club in Leicester. Um, he's also the sixth the sixth player to um, to assist four goals in a single in a single Premier League game, and the first ever English player to do so. Um, Kane only got two two Premier League assists in in the whole of last season. I'm not gonna lie. I had to check that to see if that was true, and I still don't believe it. You know, Kane two assists. I know at the end of the day he's a gunman, but he's always been quite decent in that regard so 
you know, he's already bettered that that from last season, so you can't really complain in that regards. Um, and and with that being said, Sun Hyo Min's hat trick is is only the fourth time a player has scored a Premier League hat trick with one player assisting each goal. Um, you had obviously you had Kane in this week. You had Neil um, to Shearer versus Coventry in nineteen ninety five. You had Collie Moore to Fowler versus Arsenal in December nineteen ninety five, and you had Thierry Henry to Longberg versus Sunderland in two thousand and three, um, which is crazy. So yeah, man, I'm sure Spurs fans will be hoping that partnership or Son and Kane combining as a big part to play this season. And I actually feel it's all on Jose. I do think there's a lot of subs of, of signing Spurs could make. You know, I'm sure their their fans would agree. But I think when you got a fit Bell, fair enough, it's a month from now or maybe even more. But when Bell's fit, you've got Kane. You know, Endombele and segments look good against Southampton. There's a little squad there to perform better without a doubt. Um, so we we'll have to see. Brighton put Newcastle to the sword, people. And again, you know, it was a crazy game. You had VAR. You had penalty. You know, Lampety, every game he plays, he's improving his stock. Before he got substituted, he was amazing. You know, prior to him being subbed, um, he made more interceptions and won more fouls than any other player in the field, four respectively. Um, you know, Brighton, 3-0, convincing performance. Neil Mupe got on the score sheet. Collymore, um, Collymore, man said Collymore, I just said him. Aaron Connolly put them to the sword and wrapped it up, man. You know, 3-0. You know, they treated Newcastle's ground like it's their backyard, you know. Newcastle failed to have a single shot on target in the prim in, in the game, people. And that's the first time since December 2018 against Fulham. You know, they really put them to the sword. Really put them to the sword. Mupe's brace within seven minutes is the fastest a player has scored um, twice from the start of a Premier League match since December 20, 2012, when De Dzeko scored twice in the first four minutes against Norwich, um, which is crazy. You know, convincing performance just shut them out. And Newcastle, back to the drawing board. They started well last week against West Ham, getting a 1-0 victory. And this week, they've lost 3-0. So they're going to be stressed. And I forgot to mention it, but West Ham are probably stressed out as well. They've made no signings. They've had two defeats now, you know, conceded three goals. To be fair, I think, I think I didn't mention it, but I think against Arsenal, West Ham set up quite well in that, in that 5-4-1. You know, they just let themselves down for the goals. But three points, three nil for Brighton. They're laughing. Manchester United is crazy, but now Crystal Palace have won consecutive away games against Manchester United for the first time in their history. As I said, big question marks over Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, in my humble opinion. Selection again. I'll hold my hands up if it was fitness as to why certain unusual names played. Then fair play. But I think it was a poor performance. You know, poor selections. Didn't kill the game off when they had the chance. Didn't really look like they were really in the game. We're going through the motions. Don't look like they're coached or have any ideas. It just looks like a bag of players just freestyling. Like the only positive is actually, you know, technically a penalty was saved and retaken, which is harsh. And obviously Van der Beek came off the bench and scored again. Not in not not the debut you want to make, especially at home. But it is what it is. The game had everything. Lindelof got done a bit dirty, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. The penalty was retaken. Uh, just on a poor day for Man United, man. Uh, it's not De Gea's fault, but De Gea has failed to save a penalty in um, in his last 18 attempts. Um, the last time he saved from the spot was 2014 against Baines. Um, you know, Jeffrey Slop, he's not someone you mention in relation to scoring goals or assisting or being productive for his team, but he's provided more Premier League assists against Manchester United than he has versus any other team with four. Um, he's He's got actually got four in his last six against them, so he's a man for the occasions. I think Townsend looked all right, if I remember rightly, this game. I've watched so much football. Obviously, their former player, Wilfred Zaha, who might not even be at the club at the end of the window, struck to haunt them sort of thing. I do think AU's blush has got spared because he should have scored that penalty. But, you know, it started off poor. You know, Crystal Palace consecutive away games defeat. It's a good start to the season for them. I'm sure Roy Hodgson wants to have a season to remember. And they should be saying this is the blueprint. Again, football doesn't work like this. But if you can beat Manchester United away from home, you have half a chance against most sides. So big up to Crystal Palace, man. I think they're a neutral favourite. Nobody really wants to see them do bad. They're kind of cool. Now, Leeds versus Fulham, two promoted sides. Both teams lost the week before they need to win. Seven-goal thriller. You know, it carries on the theme of this weekend in this bare goals and craziness. And it was going to happen, you know. 
Fulham shot themselves in the foot and the quality of their defending is going to is going to let them down. Simply put, Leeds won. You know, for Leeds, you know, like I said, it had a seven goal thriller. Held Acosta scored two very good strikes. You know, Mitrovic scored a penalty and a and a thumping header, if I remember correctly, and got a brace. Big up Jamaican international Bobby Reed for Fulham for getting on the, the the score sheet. But what can I say, man? Leeds won four three. They get their three points for the season, and hopefully that puts you know they're looking at that to put a run of games together. Patrick Bamford, he's not someone you attribute with scoring in the Premier League too tough, but he's now got two goals in his last two in this in the league, having netted just one in his first twenty seven in the competition. Maybe he's matured. Going on that theme, you know, in his 157th match in all competitions in English football, Helder Costa has now finally scored twice in a game for the first time, people. Um, so we have to see what happens. It was a bit of a weird one because there have been four penalties in Leeds' two Premier League games this season, the most in a, in a team's first two games in a campaign since Bolton in 2002-2003. For Leeds also, their two Premier League games have seen have seen 14 goals this season, the most for a top flight sides opening two games since Wolves in 1962-63. Now, it looks great. You know, they've done it two, two weeks in a row now against Liverpool and Fulham. But, you know, you don't want to do that. You don't want to have to be outscoring teams. And it, it does, regardless, you know, of them winning this week and it being close last week, it does scream that your defence is quite open and you will get goals against Leeds. And when you're not out, it sounds stupid because this is all football is, but when you're not outscoring teams, how are you going to get a positive result? So we'll have to see. Now, obviously, Manchester City also kicked off against Wolves and won 3-1. I wouldn't say they were at their best and perfect, but you saw some moments of brilliance, you know, the goal. For Foden, lovely team move. Sterling, great maturity to get his assist for Phil Foden. You know, Kevin De Bruyne um, exploiting exploiting Wolves, conceding a penalty and getting off the mark. Jesus also doing the same. You know, it is what it is. You know, Jimenez got off the score sheet and Pendence, along with Wolves, had a number of opportunities to score and get more of a positive result. But Man City are not going to complain. It would have been nice if they kept a clean sheet, I'm sure they'd say. But they got off the score sheet. They were at three points and they do what they need to do. And obviously, after losing the league by 20-odd points last season, they're going to be bullish. They're going to be here for war. And I think Pep put it perfectly. He said, it was 114 points to play. Now it's 111. Simply put, the work is still done. Whether we win, lose or draw, it doesn't matter. We just move forward because I know he wants that title back. Um <clears throat> With this victory, Man City are the first team in the Premier League era to win 10 consecutive opening games of the season, um, which is quite an achievement. Phil Foden has been directly involved in 22 goals in 33 starts for Man City, with 12 goals and 10 assists. How many of them are in cup competitions? Not to belittle it. Jimenez's goal for Wolves was his first shot on target in the match and his sixth-headed goal in the Premier League since the start of no last season. No player has done that more times. Since the start of last season, you lot know Kevin De Bruyne is a bad boy, but he's been directly involved in more Premier League goals than any other player. 34, 20 assists, 14 goals. What a player. You know, Pep Guardiola still doesn't even have a full team to select from because like you can see, he has confirmed Bernardo Silva and Zinchenko are ruled out until at least the international break, until after it. Eric Garcia had 16 stitches in his head and apparently could fe feature this week. Well, apparently Laporte has only had one training session since his return. So, again, he's a long way to go before he probably plays and whatnot. Um, Spera fought for Gundogan, who before the game had become the third Man City player to test positive for COVID-19. So, our thoughts are with him. Villa obviously made a winning start and obviously our former goalkeeper. It's mad, but a man's left Arsenal and I'm seeing former Arsenal people save penalties. Martinez, you know, I was sad to see him go. I was happy to see him save a penalty. It's going to be a long season for him and Villa, but it's you know he can't score a goal like a striker. So what better debut to have than to pop up and and save a penalty? It was lovely, you know. I did think the red card for Sheffield United was a bit harsh. I think Ollie Watkins and Egan were doing the same thing to each other. I can see how it is a red though, and it is what it is. You've just got to, you've just got to keep your hands down. You really just got. You really just got to keep your hands down. It was a bad day. It was a bad day for Sheffield because you know, like like Chelsea, you had a man sent off. You can, you know, you missed a penalty. It is what it is. Um, you know, so Villa take Villa steal the spoils, people, and Sheffield are having a bit of an annoyance. I know Chris Wilder hates these managers right now. 
Konza obviously saw victory for Villa by scoring from, from a set piece and he has scored two goals in his last four league games. Um, that's one more than he registered in his previous 137 in the league. So yeah, man, maybe he's starting to find a goal-scoring touch, the striker. Um, so we'll have to see what happens in that regards. Now, I don't think I'm missing out any games apart from a certain Liverpool versus Chelsea, which, as you saw, was quite the game, people. It had everything in it. It had sending-offs. You know, I think, personally, I think Chelsea... I think both teams were in it until the red card. I think Christensen kind of sealed their fate. It was a silly red card to get, you know, and it just wasn't their day past that, you know, dumb goals to concede. You know, I'm not even, should we even keep talking about Kepa? Kepa's days are numbered and I will say, I've started to feel sorry for him because you could see the look in his eyes. He knew this is potentially his last Premier League game for Chelsea, which it should be. You know, it was it was silly, you know, and it shows what you do just by continuing pressing. Mane isn't going to score easier goals than that. You know, his second goal was obviously a good goal. Um, but it is what it is, man. Keppel is all over the place. Mane steals the spoils with obviously getting two goals. Um, Fabinho looked very good at centre-half. And I think Trent, when you speak about Trent in line with the modern fullback, you talk about going forward. I think he had a good game defensively. I know he's got a lot of critics in that regards. But I think he did quite well. Jorginho obviously has missed a penalty for the first time in nine attempts for Chelsea in all comps. While this was Alisson's first penalty save for Liverpool since he's joined the club after saving three. Mane is only the third Liverpool player to score a brace in the Premier League at Stamford Bridge after Philip Coutinho in 2015 and Steve McManaman previously in 1995. Um, Andres Christensen is the first player to be sent off in a Premier League fixture between Chelsea and Liverpool since, ironically, his manager in February 20, um, 2009. So, yeah, they shot themselves in the foot. But I can't lie, I've been waiting to get to this part of this podcast. People, Thiago's the best centre mid in the league. Like, you know, you, you probably look at Kevin, you probably throw Pogba and ability in there and Thiago. And it's an interesting one. I love all of them. They've all got a case to be the best. It's a shame none of them are at Arsenal, but... And I know Thiago, I know people say Thiago ain't proved it in the league and all of this stuff. And you might have some case with that. But I mean, let's be serious. Does he need to prove himself in a league where Henderson and Wijnaldum and these people ran away with it with 20 points? You know, have you not, with all due respect to them, have you not been watching the Champions League this year? Have you not been aware of Bayern Munich? Have you not been aware of this man's ability? He's a baller. He can play it simple. He can complicate things. Difficult passing, short passing. There's still a lot of things he needs to do. In fact, you know, he's the one who gave away the penalty. It could have been a debut to forget. But there's going to be... This man is scary, you know. Thiago is scary. He's taking Liverpool up a new dimension. Apparently, he's only trained once with the main group. And the way you hear him talking to them, it's like he's been there forever. It's like he's been there for a year. He speaks perfect English. So that's going to help him adapting. You know, he's a baller. He, you know, I'm not one that reads into passes because it's what you do with the passes. But the fact that, you know, Thiago is a baller, before I get onto it, you can see that he'll be able to play this high-intensity football Liverpool play, if, even though people said he can't. He came on the field at half-time, obviously with Henderson being subbed um, due to an injury. Apparently, you know, despite this, no Chelsea player completed more passes or had more touches than him in his debut. And I think it's a Premier League record. He made 75 passes in the second half, people. He had 89 touches. This is a man that wants the ball. You know, Liverpool have been crying for a man that wants the ball, that wants to be that creative spark. Because with him respect, you know, Henderson's got a pass. You saw it for, um, I swear he set up a Mane goal in the penalty incident, in fact, or the red card, sorry. Henderson can do it, but he's not known for that. Wijnaldum is box-to-box. That's not him. You know, Fabinho, and I, I, I don't want to forget it, very good performance at centre-half. Thiago is the one. He wants everything to run through him. He wants to make it happen. He's got the right temperament. This man's going to be a success, you know. It's a steal. It's an absolute steal to sign him for the, what they signed him for. You know, in fact, even the Athletic said the breakdown of his fees is, is extraordinary given the calibre of the player Liverpool have signed. They'll pay a guaranteed 20 million with the rest potentially to follow in add-ons related to team success and individual honours. Now, in an ideal world, you want him to hit that, but guaranteed is only 20 million. With all due respect to Xhaka, I'm not even trying to rub out Xhaka and scapegoat Xhaka, but he costs 40 million. Now, we know there's some factors to play. Thiago's contract was running out, but you see how mad football is. Um, 
The 20 million will be spread out over the course of Thiago's contract, people. The initial outlay is just 5 million. Obviously, to put that into context, Dominic Solanke was sold for 19 million last season. It's crazy. A lot of people might say, look at the age, look at the age. Not that it's relevant, you know, Carl. He's, what, 28, 29? He's still born. The way Thiago plays, he can play to his 32 at a high level or more. You know, he looks after himself. You know, the way he plays football, you know, it's not one attribute he's relying on. He's not relying on mad strength and mad pace. He's a technical bowler. You know, and the way his legs go, arguably, he could, he, he could I won't say he gets better, but he could still have a use because he'll just sit. Um, obviously, it's nothing new that transfer fees are paid in instalments, but to be spreading out 20 million over the duration of his contract and that being the only guaranteed money in theory Liverpool see, it's crazy. Now, there's probably a bag of, there's probably a, a sell on clause, even though there's not going to be one because he's going to be there. Um, there's probably performance-related bonuses. You know, Liverpool have won the Champions League and the Premier League in recent years. Bayern Munich be stupid to say if Thiago's not involved in that, we need some bread um, sort of thing. It's an absolute steal. And many people will look at his age, but prior to Thiago, the only player signed over the age of 26 um, was, was, was um, Ragnar Klavan. Um, people when he signed in 2016 from Augsburg for 4.2 million so that might go against desire um, and one thing you can't underestimate you know Thiago's played 220 games for club and country over the last five seasons for all people might speak about fitness and the rest of it um, so yeah man congratulations to Liverpool two wins you know I think this one was a bit more convincing than the Leeds one the Leeds one was a bit more over the place and there was a number of factors Chelsea did that played into this guy into their hands obviously the red card made it I think you know Werner looked a bit like you know Werner I think Werner's going to be a success he's getting in roles but I don't know man he looked a bit overawed by the occasion um I think I would have subbed him out at halftime, but Havertz, you know, he was very ineffective. It was a, it was quite a long day for Chelsea, simply put, really and truly, um, sort of thing. Kante put himself about, Rhys James put himself around, but past that is a bit of a long day for everybody, really. You know, when you've got a poor keeper, when you concede in pens, when there's been a red card, you know, these factors are just contributing to a sluggish start. Klopp was quite angry at his teammate, at, his, at a member of his staff applauding a red card, people. And he said, are you crazy? We'll never, ever do that. It was not one of my subs, but another member of staff. I told him already what I thought, and he's good with that. I'm fine with that, but in the moment, it wasn't what I wanted to see. I saw the sending off only in the situation. I saw Christensen's arms around Sido. So I thought in the moment, it is a sending off, but I couldn't see it back since. So you have to. So if you have seen it differently, then I respect that. Would we have won if Chelsea had 11? Who knows? I thought we were good in the second half, so I thought we could win it. But if we would, I don't know. We know that it was a different game in the second half, but I liked our first half already. I liked the way we tried to find solutions with the way we played. I liked the way we took on a difficult game, which is true, people. For Lampard, I don't know what he wants to do. But apparently, you know, in, in keeping up with Chelsea people, apparently Frank Lampard wants a defensive mid. Apparently, an insider has said, I believe the thinking is for the balance of the squad. Last season, Chelsea didn't have a defensive midfielder with the mindset to hold. Kante is not a holding midfielder. He wants to leave areas. He wants to go and win the ball back. I believe Lampard wants a holder to just sit there, break things up and be a bit more of a physical presence. And, you know, Jorginho sits at the base, but he isn't that man, you know. He's a man for possession. He missed a penalty. He lost possession 10 times, losing um, and only won 38% of his duels. He made only one interception and two tackles. Kante, you know, he made four tackles. Only Reese James had more. He was involved in a team high of 16 duels, winning 67% of them, and was the joint second among Chelsea for possession gained and for touches. And, you know, Chelsea, Kante can play at the base as a defensive mid, but he's a box-to-box ball-winning midfielder. Maybe Lampard wants that. He wants a defensive mid. He wants the, the, the luxury of flirting between the two. Or he wants Kante winning the ball back high up the field. He wants a defensive mid who can ball play. And he wants a covered titch or whoever in there. Lamp Chelsea have a lot of midfield options, so only they know. Um, I don't. I didn't think Kante, obviously considering his age and the question marks of midfielders, people will say Kante could make weight. There is legit. But I didn't think it's the case. I feel at least right now, you know, Kante's got a skill set no one else in that midfield has. He can win the ball back effectively. Lampard, was in his playing days, was a man that benefited from having a man like that because he could be a bit more adventurous. So, you know, 
few people know better than Lampard what someone like Kante could mean. I don't know what it means for Loftus-Cheek, though, because Loftus-Cheek and a lot of players, you know, Johnny Drinkwater is the only one that's probably out of there. Jorginho's been linked with moves, but he's been used, um, sort of thing. Loftus-Cheek's 24 years of age. He didn't cover himself in any glory against Brighton and was subbed. He weren't in the match day against Liverpool. He needs to go to a team that's going to give him opportunities. He's got an injury. Also, he needs to go where he can be afforded. Can I play 5-10 games if he isn't going to be Chelsea? He's also got to take his chances when they're given to him, man, because he was quite wayful against Walsall, against Brighton people. Apparently, didn't have any shots or block shots. He completed just 11 of his 17 passes and had just 27 touches on the ball, you know. The only players with lower than that are substitutes Callum Hodgson-Odoi and Cesar Aspilicueta. Um which is which is crazy, you know. Statistically, his stats are damning. And when you consider, well, without disregarding his injuries and whatnot, he's featured in only thirteen Premier League games for Chelsea, um, where he's played for thirty plus minutes since the start of twenty fifteen sixteen. Of those same games, the match against Brighton was his highest ever for turnover percentage, forty four percent. He averages fourteen percent. This stat obviously tells us the proportion of his touches that lead to losing possession. And especially with that Chelsea midfield, you can't be wasteful on the ball. Kovacic is the standout and the one that plays. Jorginho's more of a possession-based player. You know, Kante isn't that, but Kante's got the other role against other people. Loftus-Cheek, what are you bringing? You know, you can bring the box-to-box element, but if you're wasteful in midfield, it's irrelevant, really. You know, in the middle third, he was culpable of turning the ball or losing the ball seven of his 17 touches usually it's just one in seven you know considering he's an attacking minded player you're always going to run the risk of losing the ball more but it's quite disappointing his pass completion in the opposition half was just 64 percent people which is well below his 86 percent so i personally think injuries have stopped him injuries have stopped him i think he needs to get five or ten games to get confidence consistency and you know back into the match groove of things i think he needs an arm around the shoulder um, and I think, you know, if he gets all of that, his IQ in football can improve because, you know, he hasn't been able to get better as a midfielder because he's not fit. You know, he hasn't learned this. I used to do this as a little kid. Let me do this sort of thing is what I'm, I'm alluding to, I guess. He's managed just nine first team appearances, two of which were starts when the well last season, when the 2019-20 season resumed. Obviously, there was obviously COVID to play. And I did think Jamie Redknapp and Gary Neville were quite harsh about Loftus-Cheek, um, to be fair with you, in their damning critique of him after the game against Brighton. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. Moving away from that, though, folks, and obviously moving away from that and looking into other news, we've got midweek football. We've got the Cat Yarabel Cup, Carling Cup. Now, let's start with Leighton Orient versus Spurs. You look at people like Daly Alley. Is this a game they're going to get some first-team football? Um, I think Kane's been sponsoring Leighton Orient's shirt as well. It's a local derby of sorts. Like many Spurs fans probably have admiration for Leighton Orient and vice versa. You know, there's a lot of fans from East London, them sort of sides there that support Spurs as well as North. Apparently, the game, again, the game could be in doubt. I don't know at this moment in time, but yesterday, apparently, I don't know how it is, but... A Leighton Orient player has contracted COVID or someone's contracted COVID, so it could be postponed in line with that. So if it happens, you know what? West Brom kick off against Brentford. You know, Man United will be playing Luton. Fulham have Sheffield. West Ham will be playing Hull. You know, Arsenal's got a couple of low leads at Gillingham. You know, um, Trey Coyle and Medley. They'll be playing against Stoke. Chelsea face a trip to Barnsley where Loftus-Cheek and a couple others might get game time. Preston versus Brighton, Fleetwood Town against Everton, Morecambe against Newcastle, Newport against Watford, Bristol against Villa, Lincoln against Liverpool, and you've got Man City playing against, I don't know who they're playing, you know, I didn't write that down properly, people, so let me find that for you. Man City fixtures. They've got Bournemouth people. Well, former Premier League side Bournemouth, which is crazy. And you've obviously got Arsenal versus Leicester, which isn't a joke. You know, I think both... I don't know when Leicester are playing, but Arsenal play on a Monday. So I'm actually thinking play a strong team. You know, I know the Carling Cup isn't important and stuff like that. But I think play a strong team. Let's try and keep this winning run going sort of thing. You know, Leicester are not going to be any pushovers or a joke. Brendan Rodgers recorded his 100th Premier League victory, as you lot know, in the league. You know, Leicester have won their first two Premier League games, obviously, which last time they did that, they won the league. It's going to be a difficult game. Anytime we play Leicester, it's difficult. You know, the last time we faced them and we drew 1-1, where we failed to track Jamie Vardy. 
it's it's crazy. I don't know. I think they've signed Senjis Unda. I don't know if he's going to play. Um, I'd imagine Louise and or Saliba could get some game time along with El Nene and a couple of players. I don't know, people. Moving away from that, though, and I'm sure you all saw Jude Bellingham played in the 3-0 victory for Dortmund against Gladbach. And, you know, him, Reynar, Sanjo, Haaland, they've got some good little young players there. He's become the youngest Bundesliga player since detailed data collection began to assist a, a goal in the league at 17 years of age, 82 days. Jamal Muslara obviously came off the bench and scored for Bayern Munich. He's eligible to play for Germany and England and I think he is one to watch. Odegaard obviously five years from starting his first Madrid game returned in their colours as they drew 0-0 against Sociedad, his ex-loan club ironically, you know. And again, this probably won't be the case, people, but apparently the FA Cup is in doubt. There are growing concerns about the viability and integrity of this season's FA Cup due to uprising COVID infection rates and fears clubs could prioritise league fixtures in the event of mass postponements. The Sports Mail, Daily Mail, has learned that five clubs have withdrawn from the competition due to viral issues ahead of the first round of qualifying, which begins on Monday, which was yesterday, with 117 knockout ties taking place this week. And this, I assume, is all at lower levels. Um, you know, it went on to say, you know, the FA, the Premier League, I mean, sorry, the FA and all the accompanying governing bodies will ensure that this keeps going, people. Um, it's quite crazy, people. As you lot know, there are four qualifying rounds involving 300 and one team scheduled over the next month before obviously the league one and two teams enter the first proper rounds in november there's little room to actually rearrange fixtures at this moment in time people to compound matters several clubs have obviously said that league fixtures will be given priority over cup engagements because you know for some clubs the premier the fa cup can be a a very expensive expenditure and when you have no realistic chance of winning you know i, I agree I, I don't condone it but i can agree with the logic of prioritizing elsewhere for others it's a good little cash earner don't get it twisted um so i have to see people we have, we'll have to see and obviously at lower levels it's sad because they're going to miss out on a little bit of pop people because the prize money on offer is obviously significant to small clubs involved even in the early stages the winner of the week's ties get a payout of just about over two grand a month, people. A week, sorry, a game um, or such. So that can obviously benefit a small club. That can keep the lights on. That can be that can pay for some new equipment. That can that could do a couple of things still, people. So we'll have to see what happens, man. Moving away from that, though, and before we bust out, I might as well quickly speak about transfers now. You've got Lucas Torreira and Thomas Partey. We need Partey and Arawa. You need to get one of them, but Arsenal need it, you know. Against West Ham, it showed why we need better midfielders. It showed why we need some athleticism when they scored their first goal. For me, it showed why you need creativity or players that want to break their lines, you know. You need to find someone like Thiago. Again, it's tough, but that's someone who wants to break their lines, that wants to go forward. You get it? The mindset is there. Kevin De Bruyne wants to do that. Paul Pogba wants to do that. Obviously, these... Uh, I know Thiago was cheap, but typically these players cost a premium, so we can't do that. But we need to get it done. We need to get it done. Liverpool are laughing because obviously they've signed Thiago, which we don't need to speak about. But they've also signed Diego Jota from Wolves for forty-one million. Um, you know he can play a couple of positions. He can play inside in midfield. He can play on the flanks, and he's probably just there to bolster their ranks and add to the competition. And as the season goes on, and there's many Champions League games and cup competitions, he will show his worth. And he's 23, so there's also scope to improve as a fo footballer. But right now, I don't see him disrupting that attacking front three that let that Liverpool have. Um, but it's a good signing. You know, it's been quick, quickly quashed, but Deli Ali, you know, with the Euros, he's got to really think, think, think to himself, am I going to feature under Jose? He's fallen from grace. You know, he doesn't really, he's not really a specialist of anything in midfield. He's not scoring goals. He can't dictate the tempo of a game. I mean, he's just not playing. And at 24, he's at a crossroads, man. Everything was going great. You know, he was playing as a teenager for MK Dons. He went to Spurs, you know, was of that level with Kane and that, you know, of the main players playing for England, you know, world at his feet, and it still is, but it's come crashing down, you know, apparently Real Madrid and PSG are interested in him, these have since been squashed, but apparently RMC still say, they're still confirming that PSG are currently considering a deal for Deli Ali. now for the fee, you know, considering Spurs value at 64 million, in this COVID environment, and for when you're thinking of English players, you know, you're not thinking of Deli Ali first and foremost, you know, if you're going to shell out on an English player, you're going for Sandro, you're going for Foden, you're going for Sterling, you're going for Greenwood, you know, you even, you're going for Kane before you go for Deli Ali. And there's probably bare names I've missed out, you know, 
on current form, you're going for Marcus Rashford before him, you know. You're going for Bakayo Saka before Deli Ali, you know, and he's not even in the England squad. You know them ones there. Even going for Maitland Niles now, he's in the England squad now. That's an that's an agenda still. But you know, Delhi needs to fix up a, you know, at the end of the day he's got to earn his spot. Jose will play you assuming you show him something. Apparently Spurs still retain faith in him. A move to a move to PSG or Madrid is unlikely for all the speculation. Um Apparently, he is conscious of the fact that he needs regular game time if he wants to reclaim his place in the England squad for next summer's European Championship. And obviously, he'll be 25 by then. And that 25, Dele Alli should maybe not necessarily be the finished article, but he, when you think of Dele Alli, in the same way you know Thiago is a six, you should be thinking of Dele. I think that's hard. That's... That's what harmed, and I've been saying it, I've been making vids, I'm saying when Delhi, you know, when these short-term fixes were working for Spurs with Eric Dyer playing as a defensive mid and Dyer, and, and Deli Ali, sorry, playing in, in this sort of second striker sort of role running about, I said it's great, it's a system, but what happens when Pochi leaves, which I did say in my vids, what happens when the squad changes? Delhi is not, he hasn't been taught to be a specialist, he looked more advanced in his play in several incidences at MK Dons, he's taking it to another level at Spurs, but it looked like he had more responsibility in that MK Dons team, you know, he's not a deep line playmaker, he's not a specialist box to box, he's not an elite creative midfielder, he needs to define what midfield role am I going to be, there's still talk of making him as a striker, ironically, you know, that could even be a role solved in-house at, at Spurs. I'm sure many Spurs fans would want just a legit striker to come into the club to go with Bale, Hoiberg, Doherty and I'm missing somebody else out. Um, Reginlon at left back, you, you know, you might see him in the cup. You never know. Um, Spurs have also been linked with, um, with, linked with Manchester United's Jesse Lingard. Apparently, Spurs are exploring the possibility of signing him. Jose is keen to reunite with the England international. He's obviously He obviously has scored just once in the Premier League. And he admitted off-field difficulties had contributed to his poor form off the field. Ironically, though, his best season came in 17-18 under Jose Mourinho, where he got 13 goals in all comps. Um, apparently, you know, Arsenal had to receive 1.1 million thanks to Tuba Akpom's deal to go to Middlesbrough. Considering we're broke, every penny counts, bro. So we appreciate that greatly. Um, Manchester United, despite Ole Golasolsha's scene telling Ake we were looking for a left-sided centre-half. The Athletic or specific David Ornstein is saying a centre-half isn't a priority. I think that's lies. When you're seeing them link with Kula Bali, Oppermakano, what Oli has said to Ake, for me, that tells me United don't just want to sign a centre-half. They want the top one. So maybe it's a thing where if they don't sign one, we're not going to go for one full stop and bring in mediocre, mediocre players and get me further mediocrity. But at the same time, United don't get a centre-half, a right-wing and a left-back, specifically just a right-wing and a centre-half, you're in problems. So I don't believe for a second, I think they're going to sign a centre-half. I think a blind man could see United need a centre-half, you know, say so they will do that. Um, Arsenal, Socrates, um, man said Socrates. Socrates has been offered to Napoli and apparently is on it. Apparently, Mustafi to Lazio is gaining momentum. Apparently, Newcastle are still interested in taking our player Callum Chambers on loan. We have a 12 million asking price. You know, speaking of Man United and left backs, apparently they're in talks to sign Porto's Brazilian international Alex Tellez. So we'll have to see how that one, how that one there develops people. Um, Arsenal have agreed a, a deal to sign PSG's medic as well. Bruno Mazzori is going to join from PSG. He will place the, the, the Arsenal physio that returned to Liverpool. Um, I don't think there's any other... Apparently, people as well forgot to mention it, but apparently, um, plans for fans to return to live sports in in England from October the first will not go ahead. You know, cabinet officer, um, cabinet office minister, sorry, Michael Gove, Michael Gove, apologies, has confirmed the plans were placed under review earlier this month after a rising coronavirus cases with pilot events restricted to a thousand people. The UK's COVID-19 alert level has moved to four, meaning transmission is high or rising exponentially. So, yeah, new measures apparently will be set out by Prime Minister Boris Johnson on Tuesday. And you've seen the news that has been coming out of the government. So, fans, you know, it sort, it, it sort of looked like we was advancing and returning. You know, Arsenal wanted to have fans back in for the game. Who have we got? They wanted it to be for October, but then plans are shelved. But back to the transfer news, you know, you all saw Crystal Palace hit out at TalkSport and Sky Sports for claiming that they've bidded for Rian Brewster from Liverpool and have denied that that has ever been the case. Real Madrid have squashed reports that they were ever in for Deli Alli. Liverpool and Madrid will both try next season to sign Kylian Mbappe. 
Everton have slapped an 80 million asking price on Dominic Calvert-Lewin with Manchester United assessing the 23-year-old. Um, Dilot has been Dilot has been turned down by Porto. Man United have tried to flog him, which hasn't worked. Moving forward, what else is there, people? Jules Conde, who you know was formerly at Bordeaux and has made a name for himself in Seville. Apparently, Man City are readying a bid for him. Former Liverpool youth striker Bobby Duncan is set to leave Florentina for Derby County. That move was very publicised as to him leaving and it just hasn't worked out. Morata is close to joining Juventus from Atletico Madrid. Apparently, Luis Suarez is close to joining Atletico Madrid, as is Lucas Torreira. We'll have to see. Pardon me. What else have we got? Southampton are interested in Benfica midfielder Florentino Luiz. Um... Roy Hodgson has said it will be hard for a club to keep Wilfred Zaha if a big money bid comes in. Apparently, Cavani's been offered to Real Madrid. And Leeds have had a second offer for Brighton, have made a second offer for Brighton defender, not White, Hayden Roberts, 18 years of age. I'm sure he's made his debut and he's played for England. He's a decent little centre-half, he is. Um, but yeah, man. On that note, though, there isn't anything more to add, people, really. You know, it's been a fantastic podcast. It's been great speaking to you lot over this 50 minutes. We've covered the Premier League. We've spoken about the midweek games. We've spoken about transfers. We've spoken about everything here, really and truly. Um, you know, I'll be back on Friday. Make sure you're you're listening and you're aware for Friday's episode where we'll obviously speak about things that have happened midweek. We'll think um, any talking points that arise, you know, I'll be there to speak about them. We'll obviously review the midweek action and we'll preview the Premier League action. And, well... It's, a, it's not a weekend game for Arsenal. We're on the Monday against Liverpool. But yeah, it means a lot that you lot support my podcast. Please keep doing the same. You know, I'm on Spotify. I don't know how you lot are listening to this, but we're on Spotify. We're on Google. We're on Apple. We're on, on, on Anchor and the rest of it. You know, if, if, if you've loved this podcast and you want some more of, of DG's opinions today, then just head over to the YouTube channel. You know, that's my bread and butter. That's where I made my name. That's the bulk of it. Um, I like to do this podcast stuff because it's a bit neutral. It's a bit it's a bit less Arsenal-centric. It allows me to kind of rein in my passion of just liking football as a whole, people. Not always the tribal, tribal business. So I appreciate all the support you lot give me each and every time. But as I said, you know, we've been here for 51 minutes. It's time to keep it moving. I need to go and get ready because I have a Zoom a meeting for work. But people, God bless. DG, I'm out. <laughs>